We're delighted to be joined today by Cody Royal, the coach of head coaches in elite sport. Author of two books, The Tough Stuff and Where Others Won't, and he's also the former head coach of the Canadian AFL team. In an intriguing conversation, Cody tells us about the power of simple conversations, and he talks about removing the fear of coaching for coaches, plus lots more. I really enjoyed this one and took a lot for myself from the episode. As always, you can subscribe to the Coaching Bubble podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, and you can keep up to date with all things Coaching Bubble podcast on social media at Bubble Coaching. Enjoy. Okay, uh, delighted to be joined by Cody today. Uh, Cody, uh, thanks a million for having us. Uh, it's it's evening time here for us, but it's uh, you're only halfway through your day, so appreciate you taking the time out. Um, we we'll, I want to jump in straight away. So you've, you've a couple of books out um, with the titles "Where Others Won't" and "The Tough Stuff," um, and the, the, there's longer parts of those titles, but I suspect we'll get to them. But I'm really, really interested in way why you actually went after those bits because that's the bits you don't see you don't hear about you don't see when people are lifting trophies or talking about their training sessions or whatever but all these type of things are what really matter for me anyway in terms of coaching so you might uh jump in there and, and give us your overview yeah Stephen Niall thanks for having me lads I yeah it's, it's a good first up question I've tried to in all my content whether it's tweets whether it's books whether it's giving talks I've tried to live in that kind of gray space around performance and so when I was looking at you know books and what's out there and you know the type of content that particularly coaches can get their hands on there's a lot of the same stuff there's a lot of stuff about that kind of the core ideas around performance but like you just said there, Stephen, for me, it's always been the the bits around the main bits, the glue, um, you know, that holds all the things together that's been the most interesting personally, but then also the most impactful in teams. And so that's why, you know, Where Others Won't is a book about competitive advantage and about, you know, the, the areas that others won't look at that actually create that competitive advantage. And then the tough stuff is about the emotional side of coaching and the, the emotional toll, particularly on head coaches, which weighs on them and takes away from their ability to put, perform at their optimum. So, yeah, the, it, it's kind of been my interest that has driven those titles and those angles, but also just because most people tend to write books about just just the middle of performance. Here's, you know, things that happen um, on an everyday basis. And I don't find that particularly interesting or impactful. Yeah, no, I, I totally take your point. And um, I've discussed it several times with, with various guests and, and even myself and Niall uh, ourselves in terms of the coach education model an awful lot of times let's say is really focused on the technical and the technical and the tactical and obviously you have to be able to do this stuff and the physical and all that sort of things but the real art of coaching is that sort of connecting with the person and and how you actually um how you, your relationship with with them and uh i'm interested you talk there about the the areas that people won't look into and so where what 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 are some of those areas or, or that you mentioned around the high performers yeah, I mean, the main one there is the, 
well, it's the other P, you know, in the TTPP model, it's the, the psychological. And if you kind of blow that out a little bit, it's really about the human being. So, you know, we tend to think of athletes as athletes, not humans who are involved in athletics at this point in their life. Or we tend to think of coaches as coaches, not parents and sons and daughters who happen to be coaching at this time in their life. And so, you know, that that ability for us to play around in the, the psychological space, and this doesn't mean just psychology and it doesn't mean just like mental skills and all the kind of buzzwordy things at the moment. It, it's really encapsulating human beings as performers and our ability to optimise ourselves or ourselves in that space and then through that trying to optimise our teams in that space because I think that's where the biggest opportunity for improvement comes at the moment in team sports. It's certainly not in the gym. Like I think we're scrounging around for, you know, 0.00% improvement in our squat ratios and power you know and and all these measurements that we have and and we've kind of tapped out of that physical uh we're scrounging around for tactics like you know most teams at the top end of any sport probably run 80 to 90 percent of the same stuff you know we've best practiced ourselves out of all of those as competitive advantage and really we've arrived in a space where i think we're Sport is ready and people are ready and society is ready for us to really delve into, you know, the psychological side and the, the human side of sport. So that's where I've tried to be and, and be a little bit of a, um, uh, I hate this term, but thought leader and kind of go through the wall first for people because there's huge advantages there. And, you know, the thing for, for us, I think, to, to pay attention to is, there is a social side to this. So, you know, Australian men aren't taught to talk about their feelings and their um, and Irish men in particular aren't taught to talk about their feelings, but there is enormous value in doing that and being able to kind of remove that weight from yourself um, so that you can perform at your optimum. Okay. So straight in, five minutes in, and we're straight in with the deep stuff, Cody. I love it. Um, so uh, I know loads of people listening now are going to be like, "What? what I'm a coach, but I, I'm not a psychologist. So like, can you talk through maybe some of these, um, maybe some some examples or practic- practical examples that people could take and say, okay, how do I relate more to, to, to my team? Obviously, they're humans. Yes, I get that. But how do I actually now integrate that into my plan for coaching that team or or that group of athletes or whatever that may be. Yeah. So you you said something there that's really interesting. You know, I'm not a psychologist, so that's fine. Um, I think we've actually probably gone down the wrong path with that in that coaches have always been psychologists. It's what we do. Um, Our ability to, in team sport, you know, collectively gather people together 
and have them move in the same direction and, and try to achieve something together has always been psychology. Um, and so the idea that you need like a licensed psychologist and you need to be able to, you know, I'm not talking about deep therapy here. So we don't all need to be psychologists, but what we've done always has been psychology. We get people on board with these ideas and we develop trust and they trust your game plan. So all the things that you've already done has been psychology. And so I don't want to scare people off by, by thinking that they need to have some sort of designation or PhD from Harvard to be able to, to do this stuff. Um, what people need in therapy is like the deep stuff. <laughs> um, that's not what we're talking about here. But what we are talking about is that probably our, our ideas of leadership from the old world are not relevant anymore where there's this kind of one-size-fits-all blanket that we've covered on people, like everyone needs to be, you know, at training on time and that's a non-negotiable. Otherwise, you know, you're not a part and you're not committed and all that sort of stuff. Where I think we can really start is by having conversations with each individual to figure out who they are as people. So I'll give you an example based on what I just talked about. So someone's late to training. What we tend to do is we just apply the rule to them straight out. You are late. You're not committed. You're not part of this culture. You're lazy, blah, 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 blah. Well, what happens if we were to ask that person why they were late and whether there's anything that we can do to help them be on time? You might find out that the reason the person was late was because they're working two jobs to support their kids. They're a single parent. Um, and they don't have a car and they have to catch the bus to, to training. You know, like that in North America, that is a very common thing to happen. Someone has to catch the bus to, to training. So when you then you start to go, oh, holy cow. Uh, okay, well, like is there, again, is there anything that we can do to help that so that you can, can we take the, can we take a load off, can we, can one of the um, can someone else on the team maybe take the kids to to daycare so you can come to train you know like there's all these really human factors that we can start to associate with rather than just saying this is the blanket rule if you're not at not here and on the pitch and have both of your boots tied up by 5 p.m you're not committed that's uh, you know I think we're on a hiding to nothing with that one size fits all coaching methodology so that's a good place to start is just start to ask questions about what people are going through as human beings. Yeah. And like when you say it like that, it's just it, like, it sounds so common sense and it sounds so simple, but I think, um, yeah, it's like, uh, it's just hard to get your head around that when you're, I suppose we're so ingrained the last, what the, over the years about what a coach does and what a coach uh, looks like in our head as in the person with the whistle and the clipboard and the drills or the games or whatever <laughs> it may be. But we actually forget that coaches are people uh, and 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 the, the athletes are people too. Uh, hope I think we're getting better. Certainly in Ireland, that there's a lot, there's a bit of a movement in terms of creating that more sort of child or adult cent or person centered um, coaching set setups and and uh, coaching practices. Um, but we have a bit to go, I think. Um, you also mentioned 
competitive advantage and and what that the, the sort of the tough stuff is that ha- you need to do to to gain that competitive advantage so is this the same thing in terms of is it the same focus in terms of that psychological side or is it uh more okay well we have our we're we're person centered and we have those conversations but then we need to dig in and maybe i'm not going to say we need a deeper therapy like you talked about earlier on but is is that where it needs to go is that what you're talking about and and to get that competitive edge yeah it's the same thing it's the your competitive advantage is your people not the game plan not you know that you've got some tactical advantage that no one's ever seen before and all this kind of stuff we've convinced ourselves that it's that but it it's not it can't be because again you know i i said at the top you know teams at the the absolute elite probably run 80 to 90 percent of the same stuff and they know they do you know everyone's got a forward press now everyone's got you know everyone's trying to play out from the back everyone's playing you know peps tactics or whoever the hottest coach is everyone just copies that and so the competitive advantage can't be that because everyone has it and you know so again it comes back to your ability to be able to execute whatever that game plan is and that comes down to who the human beings are and how optimized they are Um, and their ability to relate to the game plan and feel the game plan and feel like they're doing well within the game plan. And so it's a bit of a deeper level and and it still stays on that humanities kind of plane of thinking though. The people that do it are the competitive advantage. Yeah, okay, I like that. And so again, I'm, and I'm just trying to, to, to bring this back sort of practically for someone who might be listening who is involved with, with, with coaching, maybe not quite as experienced, but when you're saying that as in getting the people uh, to, let's say, buy into the to the um, the same ideal or that similar process or, or whatever buzzword we want to use to call it, right, to get that competitive edge, um, how, how do we manage the whole group? Because, like, obviously the guys who are going to be starting, the, 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 the full forward who's getting a load of scores a game or the, the keeper who's pulling off these great saves, they're, they're, they're happy because they're 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 living that goal out uh, uh on the pitch but i suppose what i'm getting at is how do we maintain that throughout a whole group because obviously you need more than your your starting 15 or 11 or whatever it may be mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think this is part of it is one the incentives are off for this new world of of team dynamics so you know, we've only ever really cared about the goal scorers, um, you know, and so and everyone else just feels like they're not contributing because they don't score goals because they, they might actually have to spend the game on, on the bench or can't get into the game. And so there's nothing for them. And so you've immediately devalued that group by saying this is the only thing that we care about. And so you can look everywhere in the world not just in sport and people respond to the incentives that are put in front of them and so if your incentives are you know uh, 
to steal from someone else. You know, one of the, the basketball programs over here has like spirit points. And so it's how you, your attitude towards the game, your, your attitude towards your teammates, um, you know, being ready to go into the game with the right attitude could be worth more to your team than the goal scorer. The objective being to pull everyone up and have everyone have a great attitude towards the game, not just the people that are doing the illustrious stuff. I think that's a better way to bring the group together than just to say, well, Michael Jordan scored 45, so he's the only one that we care about. Because we've we've done that and that works for a long time, but I don't think it really works anymore. And so I would say look at your incentives and the awards that you're giving out after the games and the rewards that you're giving to people across the team. And are you excluding people or not giving people the ability to be the best even if they aren't in the team, how, how do they still feel valued around the organization? Okay, I like it. There's a, probably a lot of coaches listening who have their 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 big man in at the edge of the square in full forward for at under 14 because he's the biggest person and the other biggest person in midfield. And I'm just thinking in my head there now, there's a, a, a group that are coming through a developmental pathway and the... The, what you say there is that incentive or reward is obviously they're looking to win and they're looking to win by using that physical size to their advantage. But what you're saying is you would like to get the coaches to switch that around so that the, the let's say the focus is not necessarily on the win at a developmental level, but maybe to use that as an example, uh, but maybe that you want them to switch the focus on how can we develop the, the group as a whole rather than just getting that, that win on a, on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to pair these ideas together, what I've just said and then what I said before is have conversations with whether it's your, your young athletes, whether it's at the senior level, ask what they like to do. So give them the ability to, <laughs> to perform and, and do the things that they like to do. What you often find out when you do that, and I've done this with my team, you know, we have our player survey and one of the questions is, well, two of the questions. One is what gives you the most satisfaction about the game? And then two is what do you fear most about the game? Like what do you not like doing? So remember, I'm coaching Canadians, Canadian natives, who for the most part have never seen Aussie rules football until their 20s. Mm. They've been elite at something else. They've played college basketball, college rugby, college soccer, so they're elite athletes in their mentality, but then they've been taught this completely new game with, you know, hand-to-foot kicking and uh, an oval-shaped ball and out-of-bounds on the full. And, and so what you find out is that a lot of the time what they are inspired by, what they love doing, isn't what I think it should be. But what I think it should be doesn't matter. If someone is scared of kicking the ball because they don't want to make a mistake, that's where the actual coaching is. You need to remove that fear. And if someone loves kicking goals, I want to put them in an opportunity to kick goals. I want to give them opportunities to, to, to have that experience. What you might find out is that your full forward actually hates playing full forward and just likes they think they have their best games when they're in the defensive um, you know, third of the ground and they like stopping someone else from, from being good. So it can impact your selection, but you've got to ask first. 
and you've probably got to pry past the first answer because they're going to the, the first response from an athlete is they're going to respond with what they think you want to hear and when you go that one step further you start to uncover that it's probably different to what you think as the coach yeah no it's it's interesting and i, I love the idea like so obviously a, a simple tool you you mentioned it right at the start is have the conversation but also another tool you mentioned there is uh like a, a simple player survey so um like how i know people i know i just know that people are going to be like what's in the survey how long is the survey how often does he does it so would, would you give us a little bit more insight into that maybe yeah sure so we do our survey i mean you can play around with the how often it is but we do ours once a year we've just done ours and it has to do with everything about their performance so it's centered around the athlete and so it is things like you know what do you love about the game what positions do you understand the most what about the rules don't you understand or could you be more educated on you know do you what do you you know when you're driving home from the game when do you think you like what goes through your head about you've had a good game or a bad game how do you sleep how do you eat all these different performance elements and i think the key thing is beforehand it's made very clear that this isn't to be used against the athlete this is to facilitate conversations about their own individual performance and how we can set them up for success even more so again if i find out that one of my ruckmen hates kicking the ball because he's just petrified of making a mistake by foot I can, one, work with him on kicking and, and taking away that fear and you know, validating that it's okay but we're going to keep working on it because I want him to be able to kick the ball. Or I could build a game plan around the fact that he doesn't want to kick and so let's not have him kick. So I don't need my ruckman kicking the ball. I've got ball users off half back and half forward and my wingers and my midfielders um, and so, you know, you can be really adaptive with what you learn out of these player surveys, change game plans, change player development plans, um, work with our sports psychologist to say, can we get this, uh, can we get this person some help with just this one skill element? Um, and so, yeah, it doesn't need to be every month. It doesn't need to be as deep as what I've done. Again, my guys are, you know, in the, in the elite category and they're pretty in tune with all of the different things that I mentioned and so they can answer them pretty easily. But the key is that it facilitates better conversations with the athlete about their own individual performance. Yeah, I really like the the language you use in it in terms of you said, um, are there any areas that you're uh, that we can help make you better on? So like, and I just think that the, the way you phrase that question, so saying it like that, instead of saying, uh, what are your, what do you, what do you think your weaknesses are? Where instead you're able to say, totally flip it and say, can we help you get better? I think just by that simple, the language is a really nice one. Um, and I think that's something that people can take, even whether it be on a survey or, 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 uh, in a conversation, um, just on that, then it sounds like that the the answers are coming back to you there, and the example you gave about um, the guy who's maybe had a fear of kicking, 
um, because he was afraid of making a mistake. And you talked about changing the tactics or working on his kicking. It sounds like it just gives you a, a, a better picture of your, your, your team, as in not just what you're seeing on the training field or on the pitch. And it gives you more choice as a coach. Would that be fair to say? Because you now know different areas where you could maybe, there might be some areas where you can push harder than others because you're getting that fit, uh, consistent feedback. Yeah, big time. And that's where the competitive advantage comes in. So now I'm armed with, you know, a full understanding of all of the human beings that are on my team. And so it allows for, yeah, that, that adaptability in game. It allows you to play around with tactics. It allows you to play around with game plans. It allows you to, you know, make certain substitutions that can be really impactful within the game. Uh, and so, and, and this is real. This is really where coaching is. This is coaching. What I'm doing, like moving magnets around the board, isn't coaching. Um, what we need to get to is that that knowledge of our players, so that we can really help them develop as athletes, as human beings, and get a sense of joy from sport, because that's ultimately what we're there for. And if you can help optimize them, and you can also be optimized as the coach through that process, then that's all thumbs up as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, I just, I wanted to go back to, you mentioned like the, the emotional toll being a coach takes. Um, and maybe you might expand on that a little bit because again, I think, well, certainly in Ireland, um, the perception of a coach is exactly what you said, moving magnets around the board or, or setting out cones for your, your games and drills but do you want to maybe touch on that emotional toll uh, piece yeah so this was really the central piece of the tough stuff the book that i just released in february the emotional toll is the tough stuff this is the stuff that no one talks about in coaching and i positioned it well i wrote about it through a lens of professional coaches because it's the, the ones that everyone sees on the news and can associate with. But I'm sure everyone listening that's a coach can imagine themselves in these same scenarios because they're universal truths about coaching. And it is things that people often overlook. Selection and deselection is actually quite traumatic when you care about the people that are on your team and the, the human beings and the impact that it has on them. Like telling, uh, there's a video on YouTube and uh, I forget who it is, maybe it was one of the morning soccer shows and I asked Pep Guardiola what the worst thing about coaching is and he says, telling one of my guys that he can't play or that he's on the bench. He's like, you've got the joy of seeing someone named into the eleven. But then you've got just the fact that you have to tell someone they can't play. It's like that rips your heart out. And it's true. And those over over time, those continue to kind of rip your heart out. And it adds to this emotional weight that you take on as a leader and as a coach. And that's just one small example. Then you've got, you know, the pressure from parents. Then you've got, uh, you know, you might be in the, the a little bit of media you know, in the newspaper, then you've got the, the self-criticism, then you've got all the things that you deal with as a human being in life. You've got 
you know, imposter syndrome, you've got um, alcoholism, you've got, you know, all these different things and they combined to be this emotional, I call it the weight, but it's really the emotional weight that actually has a physiological response on your body. Um, and you, you take on all of this emotional toll. And that's before I've even talked about the fact, how many players on a, on a roster, Stephen, roughly, in, in Gaelic? Uh, at an adult level, at the elite level, probably 34, 35. And, but in a normal, let's say, a club team, that's uh, probably between 25 and 30. So anywhere between, yeah, anywhere between 25 and 35 human beings that you care about and you're invested in as sons and daughters. Uh, so you take on a family of people plus all their family that you start to care about. And this snowballs to, you know, into 100 people that you are emotionally invested in and invested in their success. That all goes on your shoulders. And so... This is why I say the biggest opportunity for performance improvement right now in team sport is to optimize the head coach and to help them navigate all of these different emotional factors that they go through so that they can coach better. And so that's ultimately what I'm getting at is the the fiercest rival that you have isn't the opposition, it's you as the head coach. Okay. And so to go back to your advice earlier on you would have said so you need to have the conversations with the 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 players that they're human you need to talk to them who has the conversation with the coach exactly okay the answer right now is no one yeah okay and then so this is a case of 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 we talk all about the time around we have the support networks that we have the best of the best for the players at elite level, obviously, right? But who does that coach have to go to? How do they deal with the pressure? And how do we, how do we, is there a way of, of, of factoring that in? Okay, there is going to be this emotional weight or, or, or this, this, this toll on me. How do I let, not let that factor into my decision making or anything like that? Is, is there anything you, you could add there? Yeah, I mean, it's completely unavoidable that it factors into to your performance. Like this, is, it's part of the job. Um, I think what we can do at all levels is be creative with how we set up the support infrastructure around ourselves. So the first thing is obviously to acknowledge that there's probably a problem here, which I think we've done. Like I could see your face when I was talking about that, Stephen, and you were starting to smile because I think there was some recognition that the coaches need some help. So, you know, again, going back to the social side of things is particularly men, but I don't want to just talk about men, people in general in our world, in the West, in Australia, in Ireland, in the UK, we don't know how to ask for help. We were never taught to ask for help about when we are struggling a little bit. And so I think we need to start to kind of undo that thread because that then leads us to putting a support infrastructure and like an army of support people around ourselves that we can go to at various times. So it might be a mentor. Maybe you, you, you can have an informal mentor that you call every month just to debrief and take some of that weight off. It might be one of your assistant coaches that you actually set up a formal 
structure with and say, we are going to sit down for an hour every week and I just need to just vent to you to get some things off. And it's going to be varied and it might be about this person or it might be about in the club or it might be about my work or my boss, but I need to start to undo. So, you know, everyone kind of looks at Eddie Jones, who, by the way, has an Aussie rules coach as his uh, right-hand man. So nothing to do with the sport. Doesn't Neil Craig doesn't know anything about rugby at the professional level. Um, he doesn't really coach other than maybe some how to handle above your head, um, you know, marking stuff. Other than that, he's just there for Eddie to bounce ideas off and um, just to help him deal with the weight. Pep Guardiola has one too. If you watch the Man City documentary, Manel Estiarte, his job is to just follow Pep around and help him deal with the weight, the emotional toll of the job. And so these guys already have this in place, but you don't need to have those resources to have that same person in place. You just need to ask someone to help you with it. And that's what that's what I mean in terms of that, that first piece is we often struggle just to ask or, or say, like, I, I need some help with this. So that's the hurdle that we need to bridge. Yeah, and I, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head when Irish, certainly Irish men don't, don't ask for help and are, are certainly aren't taught it but it's uh hopefully that that's that, that that may change it's a social conditioning thing Stephen. it's not anyone's fault we just we were we weren't taught that you know we're we're kind of from the you know big boys don't cry generation and so that's all fine but what i'm saying is if we recognize that even that we don't know how to put into words how to ask for help that's a positive step forward the fact that we can just recognize that even and and then start to find ways around it yeah no i think and like i think the the, the great thing about the the conversation we've just had is that coaches listening now could maybe have the perception that coaches at the top level are are like you see Klopp and the happy go lucky nature and stuff like this whereas they're all going through their own uh, the the weight or the toll or whatever we want to call it in the background and that they have their support networks there and to, to hear that the top people have those support networks that might encourage some coaches that are listening that may be finding it a little bit overwhelming but that might encourage them to, to as you say just have a good friend or a, or a mentor that they can bounce stuff off or even vent because uh, I think you think you're dead right once you vent it and you get it off the chest it's like oh yeah I feel a little bit better now so um yeah no it's 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 a really good point and it's funny because I don't think I've ever heard anyone uh talk about it before but there you are you're giving me examples in the top level sport and as you say it I'm like oh yeah that makes sense but I, I don't think I've heard it talked about before do you think this is going to become more and more prevalent Yeah this is the next wave coaches will have coaches and they already do uh, I've just given you the the top of the top and you know, they have people from team sports that are just designated basically to provide emotional and obviously team kind of cohesiveness and dynamics um, to them. But this is going to be the next wave just because of the, the speed of change in sport has been huge. We've, we probably underestimate that, you know, the, the professionalism of every game. And, and I know you, know, you guys are amateur, in in name but like the 
the toll that both the players and the coaches and all the staffs are under has gone through the roof in every top level sport. And so, yeah, whether it comes from the performance angle and we start to take some of those performance levels that we give to the athletes and now we start to apply it to the coaches or whether the coaches kind of bandy together and start to provide their own support networks amongst themselves, we're definitely headed in that direction. It's, it's mental. It makes perfect sense what you're saying. Like we put, we invest so much into the players and athletes and giving them the best support networks that we possibly can. And then yet the person who's supposed to be motivating them or, or, or pushing them to be the best they can be, we don't give them any support. So it, like it, 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 what you're saying makes perfect sense. It's just, uh, uh, I'm a little bit, uh, the penny just dropped in my head, Cody, if that makes sense. And I'm just like, whoa, yeah, okay, we need to look at this. Um, well, well, the great thing is that CEOs have actually done this work already. So there has been a bit of a path blazed. Now, again, this isn't every CEO, but when you kind of look at a lot of the, you know, the, um, what they went through, through the 90s and, and again, explosion of responsibility and you know, everything kind of went through the roof in terms of their responsibilities, how big these organisations were, how many people they were looking after, how poor their health was. I don't know whether it was the insurance companies saying, like, you guys need to sort something out because we're not going to insure, you know, you're a ticking time bomb. I don't know whether it was the husbands and wives stepping in and saying, like, you guys need to do something here. But the reason there are so many CEO groups is because only those CEOs understand that weight at that level. And so by having conversations amongst themselves, they, they immediately have a recognition of what's, you know, what that other person is going through. So the great thing is coaches can do the same because I could speak to a Komogi coach I could speak to a soccer coach. I could speak to a, an NFL coach. And I've gone through essentially all of the same things that they've gone through and all the same doubts and all the same fears and all the same annoyances. So, you know, we that's what I mean. We can actually bandy together amongst ourselves and try to solve this rather than getting outside help. Yeah, so are you talking about like having like a community of practice type thing among sort of like-minded coaches? Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And particularly, you know, just just on that example, you know, I, I have I put together a head coaching group that we have one person from all the different North American sports. We've got basketball, we've got, you know, the NFL, we've got rugby, you've got and it's just head coaches. So we all understand, you know, again, that weight is consistent. We don't have you know, everyone can share because they're not in a competitive environment. We're not going to steal all their ideas or leak something to the media or anything like that. And we can have open and honest discussions about what's going on as a head coach and what we struggle with and selection and deselection and doubt and fear and you know, contracts and all those kind of things. And so, I mean, look at all the different sports that, that Ireland plays. Like, Ireland's like Australia, good at everything, and there's resources everywhere. And so that's what I mean. We can actually come together and, and solve that amongst ourselves. Yeah, no, and again, it's such common sense stuff that you're talking. It's just, I suppose it's just not talked about enough uh, at the moment. And, and um, 
uh, it's it's brilliant the way you're talking there around having that uh, person from each of those sports because you're also as well as supporting each other but you're also breaking down barriers between sports as well as in it's okay to talk to each other it's okay to share it's like how to sure there's no way we can compete against each other so so let's lean on each other and and, and uh the, the rising tide will bring uh, up all boats i suppose um listen you've been brilliant with your time um we ask everyone three questions at the end of the show um, so I'll jump in here and you may have touched on this stuff already, but, uh, feel free to, 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 uh, repeat if you want to, what does the term successful coach mean to you? It's just such a great question, man. I love this successful coach for me is to prepare human beings for life. Sport is a vehicle to learn about life. And so a successful coach is someone that can prepare that person or those people for the lessons of life. And then ultimately the coach also gets the benefit of learning about life as well through that process in passing on those messages. But for me, it always comes back to that. It's not the outcomes. It's not the the winning. It's preparing people for life because, as we know, sport isn't forever. And but it's a tremendous vehicle to pass on working in teams, discipline, failure, bouncing back, learning new things. All of these are life lessons, not sport lessons. Yeah, that's a good answer. That's that's up there now. You, you'll uh, you'll you'll be ranking high on the answer to that question there with that one. Um, uh, your best book or resource that you'd recommend for coaches? Obviously, don't before you even I say it, we're going to be plugging your your own stuff in a minute, so uh, you're, we'll get there. But uh, what would you think your best book resources or or resource? <laughs> yeah, no, don't need to plug mine, mate. Um, I think the best coaching resource is uh, Bill Walsh, who was the San Francisco Forty ers he coached through the 80s. He wrote a book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. Um, if you, one, that book is magnificent, but to Bill Walsh in general and his writings, you know, towards the end of his life, he started writing for Harvard Business Review about, you know, leadership and management ideas. And you go back and read some of those articles in Harvard Business Review and they're like from the early 90s. And he's talking about the stuff we're talking about today. This is a guy that was 30 to 40 years ahead of his time. And so anything Bill Walsh, but specifically the book is The Score Takes Care of Itself, which is a magnificent title into itself in that it means, you know, focus on the process, not the outcome. Brilliant. Yeah. And we'll, we'll stick a link up uh, to that when, we, when, we're, uh, when the show goes out. Um, last question. Uh, top tips for a developing coach. So, I suppose a lot of people who'll be listening to us will be people who might be coaching at uh, younger age groups or might be, maybe they're at older age groups or even at adults, but they are young on their, their coaching journey. So what would your top tips to those be? The big one would be be kind to yourself. And I know that's not usually something that you hear in coaching circles, but you know, there's often, you know, when you start coaching when you're young is there's this rush and this, I've got to know this and I've got to study up on this and I've got to prove myself. And I 
don't think that's the best way. Um, uh, you know, again, there's kind of this rush of emotions and, 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 and needing to feel some sort of validation or win. But it's not about that. I, I think it's a learning journey for coaches as well. And so understanding that you're on a journey and that you're going to develop as a coach over time and you need to go through some of these hardships and be, you know, <laughs> as weird as this sounds, you know, be kind of be happy to go through maybe some some hardships early on and and be finding your way and, and not know everything is actually beneficial. And so what I mean is don't punish yourself for not knowing everything and having every answer and maybe not winning straight away is, you know, back yourself and you'll find your way. You know, just be committed to your craft, to your craft and, and, and uh, yeah, uh, be kind to yourself. Yeah, no, and I think that's it. That's a, that's a brilliant way to uh, to wrap it up. Uh, before I let you go, though, uh, I didn't get a chance that, but you have an Irish wife uh, and are uh, a, a regular visitor to uh, to Sligo, I believe, and have done a little bit of work with a few GAA teams. Will we uh, see you back on our shores soon? Hopefully, mate. It's the first plane trip books, definitely. I don't know when it's going to be, but yeah, we'll be back. Yeah, so. Um... Yeah, uh, Sligo and then Tubbacurry specifically. And so once once hotels open back up, uh, make sure you get down to Corley's in uh, Tubbacurry and say hello to my family down there. So uh, we'll do, uh, the, points, the points will be on us when, when you're over, uh, Cody. Listen, it's been fantastic having you on. I could literally talk to you for hours here. Um, if people want to find out more about you, where's the best spot to find you? Um, I know you're on you're uh, on Twitter and stuff like that, but where would you recommend people to go find you? Yeah, just my website is centralized for everything. So, you know, all the books and blogs and uh, contact details and everything is just at codyroyal.com. And then, yeah, on Twitter, you know, at Cody Royal. With a name like mine, I, I kind of have all the handles. There's, there's not too many Cody Royals floating around, so I'm pretty easy to find online. <laughs> Excellent. No, it's brilliant. And the the books, uh, Where Others Won't, and the tough stuff, guys, that we've talked an awful lot about them. So we'll uh, throw links to them up when the show goes out as well. But seriously, there's so much people. It, my brain is, is, is whizzing around here now. There's so much stuff you could take out of today. Uh, just when you talk about the social side of it and people people athletes being people and that they're human uh talk about building a good attitude you talk about the power of just the simple power of, of the simple conversation uh removing the fear that just bringing that joy to sport and and one of the last things you said there was in, in preparing people for life as that being sort of so that's success to you and i think that will resonate with an awful lot of people so cody thanks a million for coming on <laughs>